Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Monster Legends Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner. And this week is Indiana. Oh. Uh, hope you had a great week and enjoyed the last episode on Illinois. If not, you can find it on places like Spotify, uh, Radio Public, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. There's a couple more. Tell you where. Uh, also, looks like sad that the freaking Packers got to got beat by the 49ers. But I figure because offensive. Richard, two two man fucking offensive team with a quarterback. But they can do it. Let's get started with a little history. Uh, Indiana sits, as its motto claims, at the crossroads of America. It borders Lake Michigan and the state of Michigan to the north, Ohio to the east, Kentucky to the south, and Illinois to the west, making it an integral part of the American Midwest. Except for Hawaii, Indiana is the smallest state west of the Appalachian Mountains. After the American Revolution, the lands of Indiana were open to U.S. settlers. The influx of white immigrants brought increased war with the Native American tribes. The conflict continued until the 1811 Battle of Tippecanoe, which uh, was won by General and future President William Henry Harrison. With a name that is generally thought to mean Land of the Indians, Indiana was amid on December 11, 1816, as the 19th state of the Union. Its capital has been at Indianapolis since 1825, like I said, of Kim State on December 11, 1816. Uh, did you know the train robbery in the United States, the first train robbery in the United States, occurred in Indiana on October 6, 1866? A gang known as the Reno Brothers stopped an Idaho and Mississippi train in Jackson County and made off with $13,000. That's a lot of money back then. How much is that in, like, today's money? Uh, uh, cost $13,000 in 1866 will cost, uh, 229000 no, wait, yeah. No, $2,209,000. Nine thousand, uh, yeah, two hundred thousand, twenty nine, two hundred twenty nine thousand, uh, nine hundred fifty six dollars, and pretty good score. Anyway, let's go. Uh, the capital of Indiana is Indianapolis, which is, is it polis? Like it's like a thing. Yeah, like it means like wow. Okay, it's like oh, we call the capital about the city of Indiana. Okay, uh, population is 6,483,802 people, according to a 2010 census. I think the next one's coming up pretty soon. I heard a lot about the news about the questions. Oh, anyway, uh, size is 36,417 square miles. Um, 
The name is the Hoser State. The motto is the Crossroads of America. The state tree is the tulip. The state flower is the peony. And the state bird is the cardinal. Uh, many families throughout the state of Indiana provide shelter for runaway slaves both before and during the Civil War. In particular, the farming community of Newport, now Fountain City, became known as the Grand Central Station of the Underground Railroad due to Levi and Catherine Coffin's role in helping more than 2,000 runaway slaves make their way north to freedom. Bedford in Indiana is known as the limestone capital of the world. Admired for its light color and ease of cutting, Indiana limestone was used in the construction of the Empire State Building in New York City, the Pentagon, and National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., as well as several state capitals. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway hosted the first Indianapolis 500-mile race on its 2.5-mile track on May 3, 1911, two years after it opened. Equipped to seat an audience of more than 250,000, the Speedway is the world's largest spectator sporting arena. Great to sell that to have. Uh, uh, Although authorities claimed the county jail in Crown Point was escape proof. Notorious bank robber John Dillinger successfully broke free from the cell on March 3, 1934 by threatening guards with a fake pistol carved from wood. Using the sheriff's car to make his getaway, Dillinger crossed the Indiana-Illinois border setting off a federal manhunt Led to his death by FBI agents on July 22nd. Month, like two months later? Okay. Dang. In August of 1987, more than 4,000 athletes from 38 nations met in Indianapolis for the Pan American Games after both Chile and Ecuador reigned re- uh, a host due to financial reasons. Uh, Santa Claus, Indiana, received hundreds of thousands of letters addressed to Christmas legends every year, each of which is responded to individually. First up is the Tales of the Indian, Indiana Wild Man from July 20, 31st, 2017 by Justin Clark. It's from blog newspaper library gov. Uh... When searching Hoosier State Chronicles, you never know what you might stumble upon. One term that seemed interesting to delve into was wild man. This simple search term did not disappoint. From outdoor hermits and incensed criminals to unfortunate cases of mental illness, tales of the wild man abound in the pages of Indiana newspapers. Below, you'll find some of these stories. Click on the images take you to its page in ACC to learn more. You can also search traditional wild man stories as well as countless other subjects in Hoosier State Chronicles. These are like uh, little pictures of like newspapers. Uh, Hayfordville, July 26. For a number of days past, a wild man has been heard of in the woods of this town who always fled when discovered. The people, supposing it was Mr. Mr. Frank, Made a hunting party and with great exertion caught him on Tuesday. The surprise was great to find he was not Mr. Frank, but a literally a wild man of the woods. As near as can be ascertained, he has never been unfortunate and refuses to live in society. 
is another expert. Uh, excerpt. What was it called? Fuck. I can't think of the word. A wild man captured. New Albany Ledger says a wild man was last week found in the woods of Jackson County, captured and taken to superintendent of the poor to be cared for. When taken, he was found lying beside a tree, thinly clad and asleep. The unfortunate man says for the last 14 years, he has subsisted almost entirely upon roots, herbs, and berries, and during that time, but rarely met with any human being. Since his capture, he has t- partaken of little nourishment and indications are that his life is fast ebbing away. All efforts to ascertain his name and his parentage have proved unavailable, un- unavailing. <clears throat> Another one. Uh, Friday, last some boys came upon uh, on last Friday, some boys uh, came upon a strange creature in human form in the woods on the west side of the White River a short distance below the city on what is known as the McCarty Farm. He was first discovered lying naked in a puddle of water, his hair unkempt, his body uh, burdened by the sun and mud, and his eyes glaring. As soon as he saw the boys, he jumped to his feet and fled. A procedure which the boys themselves would have carried into effect and did not have been saved the trouble. The young gentleman was frightened or nearly out of their wits by the strange apparition, and on Forceferous and solemn declaration that it was a human being of a most mysterious appearance and habits. It is, a, it is reported that he has been seen before, but reports have been ascribed to the bowler like imaginations of small boys. Uh, the in- individual is probably a ticket of leave man from the lunatic asylum. Mr. H.C. Newcomb have, have spent a few weeks resticating has been resumed to has been resumed the pen as editor-in-chief of the journal. Reverend W.W. W. Curry, pastor of the Second Universalist Church here, lately of the New Albany Commercial, officiated in his absence and fully sustained the position. Uh, several of our citizens who went to see the Paris Exposition and make the tour of Europe have returned highly delighted with their experience. Come, some of them shook hands with crowds, crowned uh, heads. Uh, sorry, this the glow. Some of the fonts not good. good. If such a feat were possible, and hub knobbed extensively with tile parent personages, we had several showers of late. But the fama does not keep the weather from being oppressively hot, nor Indianapolis from being profoundly dull. Uh, the report, the papers have been reporting a wild man as inhabiting, as inhabiting the woods without about uh, Edinburgh, Johnson County. A few days ago, the angel played out. He having climbed a large sycamore tree, which he pulled up after him and disappeared. New Alby at Ledger. Uh, another one, a uh, wild man in the woods in DeKalb County is creating such much excitement. Uh, a wild man is reported in the woods in Newton County. He is said to be seven feet high and entirely nude. Uh, citizens of Lost Creek Township are drawing a success, uh, sensation. For some time past, a wild man has been roaming through the county country 
in that locality, and speculation is rifle as to his identity from whence he came. He does attempt to injure anyone. On the contrary, his chief objective seems to be keep out of the way of any person who comes near him. As yet, but one person has been close enough to him to give what any description of him. A few days ago, he made an attempt to get into a house for the purpose of attaining something to eat. It is supposed an owner came suddenly upon him, giving him such a shock that he fell prostrate on the floor, but Millie arose and made his escape. His only food is corn, cucumbers, which he gets his, he gathers in his rambles, an attempt to be made to surround and capture him. The Backward March of Nature a genuine wild boy, music and clean linen, a good word for the South Side, worst year for poverty since 1877. Uh, the poor met Dr. White, the superintendent of the asylum for the feeble-minded. He said, I know there is both evolution and revolution. Nature, with an influent, uh, infinite amount of labor, evolves the inventor of a steam engine or a telegraph out of a barbarian whose ass brother to an uh, ape, ape, and that she takes the hair of the highest civilization and rolls him into entirely. You may have taken the Spaniard, Italian, and Portuguese as illustrating the fact in nations, and I will give you an visual instance of the backwards action of natural forces. John Myers is a white boy of French descent, though his family have probably been <coughs> residents of this country for two generations. John is about three years of age, two or uh, a wild man was poor to be terrorizing the people of Boone Township. A posse of citizens endeavoring, are endeavoring to capture him. He habitates a dense woods and appears in a perfectly nude state. Uh, Indianapolis News, October 3rd, 1886. Uh, Jasper Weekly, Courier, May 13th, 1887. There's a number of... Of such wild men. <clears throat> it is reported that a wild man has made appearance near Birdseye, Dubois County, and the citizens are greatly alarmed. He inhabits a cave south of the place in Perry County and is seldom seen in daytime. He is said to be harmless but very fond of chicken meat and has committed many deportations uh, dis- upon hen houses. Eating the chickens raw. Wow. Uh, Indianapolis Journal, April 9th, 1890. A wild man was discovered in the woods near Pendleton on last Monday. He was captured after a hard chase, but could give no national accounts of himself. His identity is a complete mystery. From, from his talk, he was supposed that he had lost his mind through religious excitement as he ans- answered all indications by quotations th- from the scriptures. He was taken to an innocent place in jail, but fought disbelief for his freedom. That's a big one. Uh, Crawford, Crawfordsville, uh, Crawfordsville Review, September 9th, 1890. Uh, a wild man terrorizes the neighborhood of Linden, a man's harrowing experience. James Murphy, a young man living north of Linden, met with an expert, uh, experience Sunday night, which we have a tendency to stun his growth and make his hair turn prim- prematurely gray. Early in the evening, in the fields of grow- growing grain were bathed in the soft twilight of September Eve. Mr. Murphy 
wended his way into the little village of Linden to be regaled by the queenly smiles of his Juliet. After ten o'clock, James succeeded in tearing himself away and slowly but joyfully wending his way homeward. When in a lonesome part of the highway, a burly Indiana, burly individual spanked from a fence corner and grasped the horse's reins at the same time muttering wild sayings and performing antics which caused cold chills to chase each other up the young man's spinal column with alarmingly rapidity. A rapidity. God, these freaking people. And they're making these freaking stupid words. They're writing a freaking report. And I don't freaking, oh, God. Hastily grabbing his whip and giving the horses a few vicious spice, he struck a mod S gate up the road. His assailant followed for a short distance, but eventually gave up the chase. Monday morning, he started his experience and a posse was organized to search for the highwayman. He was soon located within a few yards of where the truck where the attack occurred and captured without a struggle. He was found to be a raving maniac, taking wildly and intensively and imagining that somebody was trying to kill him. He was taken before Squire Jones, where twelve good men and two found a whole merry-go-round in his head. He gave his name as Martin Wagner and claimed to be a bricklayer by trade. He was brought to this city and lodged in jail for safekeeping. An application has been made to have him admitted to the same insane asylum at Indianapolis, and he will probably be taken over the first of next week. Uh, Crossville Review, December 19, 1891. Uh, one man at large, Deputy Sheriff Grant New reports a queer freak of nature which is terrorizing the company around Bales Schoolhouse in the Black Creek neighborhood at present. The suspicion is the freak is an escaped refugee from some insane asylum. He has taken his abode at Straw Sack, where he remains snugly and counts during uh, the day and at night he goes foraging. He described as a man of medium height, stoutly built with stubby beard and long shaggy hair. Last Sunday uh, night, Charlie... Francis met him on the bridge which, which crosses Black Creek. The sight of Francis seemed to enrage the fellow, for he gave a shrill scream and made for Charlie's, Charles' rapidly retreating figure. After a chase of half a mile, damn, Francis reached home, dashed to the door, door falling in the heap on the floor. Crazy man stopped on the gate, but soon shuffled off across the fields. People there are afraid to venture out after night in uh, parents fear to send their children to school, lest they meet this wild man and come to come to some harm. Uh, Mr. Agnew, uh, has or come to see, uh, has or organized a band to has has organized a band to hunt some hunt down the freak. They made their first grand chase last night, but with what success the little band met, we have. Not been apprised. Uh, Indian Love's News, March 10th, 1893. A wild man safely housed. Moore's Mill, March 10th. A raving madman has been captured by the inhabitants of Manchester. The man appeared in the community a few days ago. He was cured by Frank Bidner. He carried a scrap of paper which was written by the sentence John Mack, Louisville, Kentucky. I will kill myself today. <laughs> Guarded by several men. The maniac was started on a journey by the county in 
Fimuri. But on the road, he broke from his guard and leaped into a pond of water. It was, it was with difficulty that he was rescued. At last, however, he was safely lodged behind the bars of the Mad Ward in a county asylum. Uh, Tour papers, uh, which the crazy man had buried, has been covered by D.D. Kelly. They proved to be scraps of naturalization of papers. In his mutterings, the wild man claims that his wife had deserted him for another, that his rival, having taken his wife, has now seeking to take his life as well. Uh, Indianapolis Journal, April 11th, 1893. The wild man captured. had been wandering through the woods, and farmers were afraid of him. Uh, special to the Indianapolis Journal. Uh, Terror hot in Indianapolis, April 10th. The Lin- uh, Linton Township wall man was captured this morning and brought to this city. He was uh, in rags and presented a pitiable appearance. For several weeks, he has been wandering about the county, keeping out of sight of the people as much as possible. Several fires have been attributed to him, and the farmers were kept uneasy on his account. Last week, the residence of Mrs. Robinson was burned, as well as the barn of Cyrus Reeves. In the barn were four valuable horses and three calves, which were lost in the flames. David Bledsoe, a farmer, found the insane man wandering aimlessly in the woods, this morning, and met with difficulty in persuading him to come to the city. His name is Alfred Montgomery, and he came here a short time ago from Ohio. From from that state, he went to the war, serving throughout an infantry regiment. Uh, Crossfold Journal, July 17th, 1896. A wild man. Bob Osborne, authority for the statement that a wild man is roaming about the Bristol Ridge neighborhood, and gives the following account of it. The animal... For it acts more like an animal than a human being, has been uh, seen by half a dozen of the most prominent denizens of the ridge, and therefore the story is corroborated by more than one ton. The man or beast, whichever it may be, roams over the ridge in the early morning or late in the evening. Its food is roots and her- herbs, boughs from the farmer's hand roosts, and small grain. It was first seen on the Fletcher farm about 7 o'clock in the evening. And when spotted, was in the act of cornering a chicken about 20 rods from the barn. It was on fours and running as a great as speed as a dog. When it discovered, when it, it discovered it was observed, it uttered a sound which can be ascribed as between the bark, between the bark of a dog and the hello of a man. It struck at full speed for the dense woods back of the center schoolhouse. It was next seen in, in a wheat field alongside of the road. It runs west, south of Center Church, which seen, which seen it was uh, pulling the grain from a shock and devouring the heads. Uh, again, it took to the woods on the north side of the road, where it crossed the road. The imprint of its four feet, or its two feet in hands, has traveled on all fours every time it was observed. Might be plainly seen in the prints were likely those that were made by a barefooted person on all fours. Near Lelo Thompson Schoolhouse and near the Bottenberg Farm, and at the latter place his face was seen was that of an unkempt man with long hair and a ragged beard. People may well be frightened such things as this run loose, and the Lord only knows what Bristol Ridge will bring will spring on us next. 
uh, Crossful Review, October 29th, 1898. Uh, down at Bainbridge Bain in Putnam County, they were aroused by the appearance of a wild man. I suppose a crazy man was seen near the fairground, and the whole community turned out to find him. At least three dozen big stalwart men went to the scene, but as yet they have been able to capture him. They claim to have been within a few feet of him, but he always gets away and know and they don't know where he goes. You follow him, dude. Uh uh Indianapolis News, july eighth, nineteen oh two. Indians capture an Indiana wild man says he is John Podgett and a Hooser. Guthrie Oklahoma July eighth. A wild man armed with dangerous knife has been captured by Indians and cowboys during a rational moment. Uh, he said that his name is John Podgett. He once lived in Indiana. It was impossible to certain what part of the Hoosier state he came from. Plymouth Tribune, March 16th, 1905. Uh, long last son found in St. Sandy Fallon's Quarrel. Logosport, Indiana, March 13th. Lee Weaver, who disappeared from his home in Dunkirk several months ago, has returned. His hands and feet were terribly frozen while wandering in the woods about Warsaw in a deranged mental condition. Weaver is 23 years old. A few days before he disappeared, he quarreled with a woman to whom he was greatly attached and brooded over their misunderstanding. Then he disappeared months later. His parents learned that a man answering inscriptions uh, has been found near Warsaw, roaming the, through the woods, singing and shouting incoherently. When farmers tried to approach him, he ran from them and was captured only while asleep in a snowdrift. There was nothing on this person to identify him and was known as the wild man of Warsaw. When admission to a hospital was attained for him, a week later he recovered sufficiently to say he had lived in Dunkirk and his descriptions were sent here. His uh, father went to Warsaw after him but was unable on account of his critical condition to bring the young man home until yesterday. He is fully recovered mentally but may lose his hands and feet. Uh, Jethro Weekly Courier, May 18, 1906. Some wild man caught Indiana fa- farmer's boy and tried to tie him to tree. Well, oh, that's crazy. Uh, Wabash, Indiana, May 12th. Farmers in the vicinity of Urbana are searching for a man believed to be insane, captured and tied to a tree. Von Boomen, son of a farmer. The boy, age 10, with his brother, James 11, were walking alone. A strip of timber when the strange man emerged from the woods. Grabbing the boy, hustled him to a tree and made him fast, tying both arms and legs. Then he disappeared. The other boy, badly frightened, ran away, but attracted by the screams of the younger, returned and found him in the plight described. Uh, Haman Times, July 17, 1907. Desperate, delicate, hunted to death. While a man of the sand dunes Brought to the bay in a desolate waste falls filled with bullets. Scene of carnage in the gathering gloom. Officer George Nelson swims through his rifle down his back. Gets his men. <sighs> okay. Uh, Hammertown, July 17th, 1907. That's pretty hunted to death. Uh, okay. Richmond put, uh, Palladium, August 3rd, 1908. Uh, wild man is finally caught. Strangers cause uneasiness. Among farmers now in jail, identity unknown. May, man refuses to tell his name. Was captured on a frank scene from 
west of Boston. Uh, Wallman, how many times? June 3rd, 1910. Wallman loose. With all of its upper teeth removed, but two long ones resembling tusks, uh, trained and developed to look like a Wallman. Robert Fraction Color, who spent six years with a big circus as a Wallman, terraces residence in the east, eastern part of Wabash County today by his harmless actions. He was uh, barricaded in the Spockman shop until Sheriff Freeman arrived in an automobile and took him to jail. He uh, went times May 24, 1912. Uh, Wildman is finally landed finally. Police put Camelons on Dottie Stranger, who has been shoveling 100 corpses out of a slough in the outskirts of Tolston. Wildman, who has been uh, terrorizing streetcar conductors in the vicinity of the J Railway and Gary and uh, Interurban Crossing in the West End. The city by the Gary police have their more or less exciting circumstances in which the people were more or less fooled for several days. The police have been trying to, to land the wild man who was described as being armed with knives, pistols, dirks, and other weapons. This morning, while en route to Gary, the newspaper, two newspaper men, Harold Cross and Ray. Penmore saw a bloody-faced stranger approaching a G&I car, shouting the news scribes headed off the fellow who told him to beat him with bated uh, breath. The two people have been killed and two more injured in an auto uh, accident a little bit down the way. The wild man, after leading the two excited scribes two miles down the J-track, suddenly said that the accident was on the Southern Pacific. Then the scribes cussed for they knew he was uh, he was on bugs and had lost his mind over the horrible catastrophe. Just at the juncture, the two reporters saw police chief Martin and Captain Newman approaching the party on a dead run. Thinking that the cops were coming to get the bodies of the supposed victims, Cross and Penmore put on more speed when the wild man suddenly began talking about a big railway wreck. Pretty soon, the two cops were on hand and drawn their artillery. They made a rush to rescue the two lads whom they supposed to be in the clutches of the wild man. Horrible, horrible wreck, shouted the stranger at the police came on him. Chief, I have just shoveled one human, 100 corpses out of slew. The place is just filled with dead bodies. Come on along with us, said the chief. They slipped on the handcuffs. As the station, the prisoner gave the name of Mike uh, Keller. It said that he had a scar gear from Corey, Pennsylvania. He's been at large for three weeks, and all previous efforts to round him up has been failed. Uh, South Band News Times, September 24th, 1912. Shoals, Indiana, September 24th. Uh, Wildman prowls him back to nature garb. For several days, he has been prowling around the riverbanks. He is said to have the uh, habitat. In the dense jungles along rivers just below the town. The man is said to be of large stature, face covered with hair, whenever seen has been nude. He is said to be screaming in an unearthly voice at night. A thorough search is being made for the man who is believed to be insane. Uh, him Times, January 3rd, 1920. Wall Man, John Sabo, a demented man living at 17th and Adams Street. And Gary uh, became so unmanageable manageable at the Mercy Hospital in Gary yesterday that it was found necessary to turn him over to the custody of the police. He's 
being tried as to Sandy before Judge Corthy. Uh, last one. Uh, Hammond Times, June 15th, 1922. Mystery Unsolved. Solutions of the mystery and identity of the well-dressed man whose charred body was found out on the cold embers of a campfire near Waverly Beach more than a week ago was at standstill today with the belief that the Porter County authorities and newspaper men might dig up new cl- clues, which might assist in throwing some light on the case within the next 48 hours. Following a statement made yesterday noon by Paul Wilson, common law husband of Diana of the Dunes, who is still confined at the Mercy Hospital suffering from a fractured skull, a few authorities and a block of reporters tramped the Dunes became. Uh, Fucking for a tramp to dunes uh, between Waverly Beach and Miller, each in hopes of locating the supposed wild man, whom Wilson says is roaming the dunes in the murder of the of the unidentified stranger. The search was a fruitless one. Afternoon and last night they searched, tramped up, up and down over the dunes, without any trace of the wild man. The nearest Times reporter came to the possible uh, clue was a stranger told by two girls at Waverly Beach who told a story that came. someone has been seeing a man in a cave in a certain direction from Waverly Beach on Monday. This led the reporters on a new chase and after lengthy research found what was supposed to be the cave. But no wild man. Uh, a small campfire was near the entrance but showed that it had been used weeks before, probably by some uh, campers. As far as the times, and some of the stories are concerned, they believe the wild man's story a hoax, and from now on will extend the search in other directions. Sheriff Pennington was informed of the supposed wild man yesterday uh, noon and promised to take a posse out and search the dunes. Reporting, reporters were unable to find him throughout the afternoon and later learned that he was out working on another case. Sheriff also believes that wild man clue a hoax and is making no effort in that direction. Wilson was released from the Gary Police Station yesterday on $100 bonds while fisherman uh, Eugene Frank held for shooting Wilson and hitting Diana over the head with his revolver was released on $1,000 bonds. Alright, next up is Mud Mermaids. Uh, mud mermaids, strange human-like creatures that live in the Ohio River. On a sandbar in the Ohio River near Bavay, Indiana, reside two nondescript creatures, horrible in appearance and habit. They are amphibious in nature and resemble in appearance, he, he, uh, in appearance huge lizards, lizards with human features. Bar reptoids. There you go. They're right. Uh, when partly submerged in the yellow waters of the Ohio River, they're likely human beings. They're strangely like human beings. Of what species of animal they are, no one knows, for it is possible to get near enough to, to them to judge correctly. The sandbar in question at low tide is covered with huge logs and stumps of trees. Known in the river, uh, vernacular as snags, they have been deposited by the government Snag boats engage in keeping the channel clear. When the water is high enough to cover 
these snags, the creatures make their home among them. When water resides, they disappear into some unknown lair and wait for a rise. From indications, they appear to be carnivorous among snags and are to be found wagon loads of mussel shells, fish bones, and other debris of animals. Uh, when a river is goes down, these shells and other articles disappear only to be succeeded by a fresh lot. This is evidence to those who have watched the coming and going on the strange things that live among live upon such feud, and it has been four years since they were first noticed by Veve. Another article on this. The fisherman who saw uh, strange creatures' heads protruding from the stream had never heard of a mermaid, and description was such as to cause the belief in the minds of the better educated that, after all, the old myth might be true in some degree. Some days since Captain J.M. Olzer of Coating, Kentucky, who was in charge of the traveling art exhibition, exposition, came to this place to make arrangements for an entertainment. He heard of the strange mermaids and paid their haunts several visits in the hope of being able to get a glimpse of them. In this, he was successful, going so far as to get a pen pencil sketch of the male amphibian seated on the bank. He watched it swimming within 20 feet of the spot where he observed its movements. From notes taken on the ground, description as furnished by Mr. Hoser states that the beast is about 5 feet in length and should weigh about 150 pounds. Its general color is yellowish. The body between the four legs resembles that of a human being. Back of the hind legs, it tapers to a point. Uh, this point is no way resembles the tail. The legs four number resemble the arms and legs of the human. The four legs are shorter than the hind legs and are used in the same manner as arms. The extremities resemble the hands and are webbed and furnished with sharp claws. On the back and one third of the way around the body bears a mass of strangling, uh, strangling coarse hair. The skin below the forelegs is thick and resembles an elephant hide. On the arms and about the face and neck is of finer texture and brighter yellow color than the rest of the body. The head of the nondescript beast is the most remarkable part of its makeup. It is void of hair and strangely like that of a human being. Its ears are sharp pointed and stand up like those of a dog. No, oh, this is a crazy creature. Uh, this is a interesting. There's no intelligence in the face, which is contour. It's like that of an idiot. Mr. Uh, Hoser declares that it resembles, to a great extent, the freak known as Zip, on the or the what is it, which it was exhibited by, first by P.T. Barnum. In swimming, it seems to move without an effort and does not cause much commotion in the water. Only its head and a part of its slightly arched back are shown while swimming. When frightened, instead of diving like a duck or making a quick flop, the strange beast sinks from view like a stone. It is extremely timid in nature, fleeing at the first approach of a human being, Cincinnati inquired. Let me... What is it? Look at it. What is it? Let's be him and the guy.
Where's the Barrett Lady? Okay. Moving on. Um. Well, Miss Machine came back. back. Number 5th, 2018 by Adam Benedict from BuyingParentsInstitute.com. <clears throat> Located in Rochester, Indiana, Lake, lake Mantato is a 55 feet deep man-made lake which was created in 1827. The reason for the creation was that due to the 1826 treaty between the United States government and a Potawatomi Native American tribe, U.S. was required to build a mill in which the tribe could use to grind corn. However, needing water to power the mill, the U.S. government was with only one option, and that was to build a dam prior to the destruction of the mill. Upon completion of said dam, 775 acres of land were flooded, and five small lakes around the lake area soon to be mill, uh, soon to be mill became one giant lake. The resulting body of water was given a name Mentito, and almost immediately a monster by the name of the Meshinkamek, which translates to Great Serpent, took up res residence within it. Nobody really knows where exactly the monster came from, but many believe it may have been already been living in one of the smaller lakes prior to the creation of Mount Manito. A reason for this belief comes from the name of the lake itself, as Manito means both good spirit and evil spirit in the uh, Potawatomi language. And seeing that how, as how the Potawatomi not only hunted, fished, and lived alongside the five smaller lakes for many years prior to the expansion and grouping, it's only fitting that they would give this new body of water a name which represented both recognition and warnings of the large creatures they believe now lived within it. While legends, while legends claim that members of the tribe would never fish, bathe, or even canoe on the lake itself, None of these stories can be truly verified, which can be verified though. What can be verified though is the fact that people were seeing something odd swimming in the water itself, and not only members of the tribe but also workers constructing the mill itself in 1827. This group of men, which had members of both the builder and surveyor side of the project, claimed to have witnessed on more than one occasion a creature which was thought to be over 30 feet long, was dark in color. This a long neck with a horse-like head and was seen both surfacing and submerging within the waters of the lake. After seeing this creature, the man would tell others and the other story would spread around not only Rochester but also Loganport, a city located nearly 25 miles away. At first, everyone thought the stories were pure nonsense, but only after the witness began to gain forward more regularly did people start to think that perhaps a creature truly did reside within the Lake Mantiso. After stories of the mill, work, mill workers became public knowledge, those in the area started watching the lake more closely, hoping they too could get a look at the beast. But while the interest in the creature was growing, not everyone was on board yet with the idea of a monster swimming around in their own backyard. It was only after the first blacksmith in the area of Lake Mantiso came forward with his story nearly 11 years after destruction workers did, those on the fence finally decided to jump on the wagon. The reason for this move is because at the time, the blacksmiths were the most respected members in the community, as they were heavily dependent on by almost everyone. So if the blacksmiths claimed to have witnessed a monster swimming around in the lake, 
There was surely little reason to doubt that what they were saying was anything but true. Okay, sure. Okay. Uh, weird. Uh, scroll down. Uh, while many claim that the name of the blacksmith who witnessed the creature has been lost to time, has been lost to time. Uh, others say that his name was Mr. Lindsay, but regardless of what his actual name was, the description he gave was recorded for the ages. In 1838, the blacksmith recounted how he had watched a creature roughly 200 feet from shore raise its head four feet out of the water and it's free to swim around in front of his eyes. He stated the body of the creature was quite serpent-like in appearance, but that is, but that is possessed a head that was nearly three feet wide and somewhat resembles a cow head. The neck was long and the color of the creature was very dingy looking grayish black. The blacksmith also claimed the creature possessed what appeared to be large yellow spots on the skin that contrasted restrolling against the gray black body. The, black, uh, the blacksmith watched as the creature swam along the surface of the water, fully exposed, turning its head from side to side in one smooth motion, almost as if studying the landscape around it. And after only a few minutes, the creature sunk back down below the surface. This appeared from view as quickly as it appeared. The blacksmith, standing motionless in his shop and still peering out at the water, unfurled his barrow, committed, commented what he had seen to memory, and went back to work as nothing had even happened. For work he was doing was more important than what he had just seen, and the story could wait until later to be retold. Uh, after the blacksmith's story, Pretty much everyone in the area believed that Lake Matu truly did attain a monster. Yeah. Uh, they would frequently hear stories of the beast being spotted by a frightened eyewitness while on shore. They could listen eagerly to take hold of how someone close to the lake saw a large dark shape just under the surface of the water, moving at rapid speed. They would gasp while listening to a retelling of how the monster rose up from below, looked around, and dove back down in a motion that created a disturbance on the surface of the water. They would always listen to stories with their utmost attention and would leave hungry and wanting more. But one thing isn't one thing that seemed to be complex about these stories is that they always seemed to evolve a witness seeing the creature while on land. There were never any close encounters to gasp at it. That is, just at least until two men decided to go out fishing one evening. Uh, the story goes that nearly two weeks after the Blacksmith sighting, two unlucky fishermen by the last names of Robinson would be the first on record to have an up-close and personal encounter with a beast known as Meshinkenbeck. It is claimed that the, while out fishing on a lake one evening, two men took notice of, of a large disturbance in the water a good distance away. Thinking that it may be a somewhat sizable school of fish close to the surface, men began to row their boats in general in its general direction, but as they did, the surface started to move towards theirs. A bit taken back by what they were witnessing, the men started rowing the boat towards the unknown thing, just watched with focused eyes. They stared in awe, 
of what appeared to be a creature of nearly 60 feet in length moving rapidly under the surface of the water, and they changed from awe to fear just as quickly when he realized this thing of great size was swimming directly toward them. As soon as the man saw the creature approaching the boat, they immediately grabbed their oars and began to row back to the safety of a shore. But as the rowing speed of two grown men was no match for a gigantic creature fully adapted to life in the water. The creature was quickly approaching, and the two men were no closer to shore than they first brought a calm motion on the surface. One who shot out from the outside the creature made its way steadily through the water. The men continued rowing as their arms started to burn. Suddenly, a large gray head broke the surface of the water and lunged up quickly before shooting back down in the water and out of view. The water uh, grew calm and the boat rocked back and forth on the raining waves created by the creature. The men waited in terror, believing that the creature was below them and would turn if they tried to move. So they stayed so they sat motionless in the rocking boat. Only after a fair amount of time had passed, they truly believed the monster had spared them, and they were afraid to row back to the safety of shore. Ah, uh, damn, scary. After a encounter by two men named Robinson, they, those around the area of Lake Manitou felt that something must be done concerning the now aggressive lake monster in the lake. So much was the desire to rid the water of the beast that a posse of concerned citizens formed in the town of Rochester, and plans were made to capture the serpent by any means possible. A group even went so far as to gather a mass of both boats and rafts to take out, out onto the water and capture the beast, either alive or dead, in order to turn it over to science for study. But after some time on the water with no result, the monster hunt was called off and the serpent was left alone to do as it pleased. Starting in the 1840s, reports of Meshenbeck became few and far between. Stories like the ones from years prior of almost constant sayings became the stuff of legend, and eventually became those faded from memory. While some still occasionally claimed to see something odd swimming in the water, truth was typically not monstrous and it could often be chalked up to a known creature. Although in 1849, a creature that some could describe as a beast was pulled from the lake, a report from the Logan Sport Journal at the time stated that an enormous uh, ichthyocabus or buffalo fish that weighed several hundred pounds was <coughs> pulled from the lake and its 330 pound head was removed from its body displayed in the Logan Sport as part of an uh, exhibit. Then, nearly 39 years later, another massive fish was removed from Lake Manitou. Again, the Logan Sport Journal at the time reported that a massive 116 pound spoonbill catfish, aka American paddlefish, had to be pulled from the lake by four grown men while out fishing. The sight of the fish drew such a crowd upon its removal that it was eventually placed into a cart and displayed next to the Rochester Courthouse where the man charged curious onlookers 10 cents a peak. Not long after, the catfish was butchered and the meat was sold to those same onlookers for 10 cents a pound. Smart people. Smart business people. As the years passed, those in the area became more and more preoccupied while trying to catch the next monster fish in the lake and less occupied while watching for the monster they once believed swam within it. Uh, the stories of the beasts were rarely talked about anymore without snickering and laughter. In the waters, the, the Hawthorne had once suspected had become nothing more than a major point of recreation. The monster, it seemed, had gone way of other lake-dwelling serpents before it it too us hushed into legend. So what was the lake 
So what was the monster of like Magato? Was it a Native American water spirit or an actual fearsome creature? If it didn't really exist, then why did the blacksmiths and the Robinsons see any encounter? Was it nothing more than oversighted imaginations mixed with strong desires to see a monster that so many people were talking about? Or could it have simply been giant fish just waiting to be caught and turned into exhibits for curious onlookers? Honestly, we don't know. And that's the fact of the matter. Truth. Uh, it's a weird sentence. Uh, but one thing we do know for certain is that something strange swam around in Lake Metso over 190 years ago. And the thing, whatever it seemed to possess, sort of significance. Whatever it was, it seemed to possess some sort of significance. Because if it wasn't important to remember in even a size way, we wouldn't be talking about it to this day. One last fun fact before we end this. While we know that the creature was given the name Meskenbeck by the Potomi tribe, Rhino Lake, few known of the Meskenbeck isn't just one creature, but rather the name was given to all great serpents called a variety of lakes in the Midwest home. <coughs> and while these serpents were quite deadly to humans, and much close to their main, there was one creature that was said to kill the beast with great ease. The creature was a thunderbird, and it was the Meskenbeck's greatest enemy. Yeah, that's <coughs> yeah. We talk about that in... Alaska. I have a similar story about thunderbirds and surf, like lake surfers. <coughs> Sorry. Uh. Yeah. Uh, what's next? Uh, cryptic pro- the beast of Busco, aka Oscar the Turtle. August 18, 2018, once again by Adam Benedict. Uh, Churro often shortened to Busco, is a town in Indiana that, as stated on the website, offers everything you come to expect from small town living. The town has a population of around 2,000 plus residents, boasts a 60 acre park, and puts on a, a yearly town wide Turtle Day Festival. It is because of the last fact that Churro Busco is well known in the world of cryptozoology. Not only for the festival itself, but rather the reason the festival is celebrated in the first place. The re- reason, <coughs> uh, the reason is a giant monster snapping turtle, known as the Beast of Busco. Yes, uh, according to you. Uh, giant crypto legend tur- first made its appearance in 1898 when a farmer by the name of Oscar Folk noticed what appeared to be a giant turtle hanging out in several. Uh, a seven acre lake on his farm. Fall quickly turned other farmers in the area with an unusually large turtle by majority of them simply laughed him away and they gave him a second thought to what he was telling them. It was that nobody was going uh, to take him seriously since the turtle was not dangerous and just wanted to live his life. Paul let it be and ignored it for the remainder of the time he owned his farm. Fast forward 50 years to 1948 and a farmer that Oscar Falk used to own has been sold to Gail Harris. Realizing that the lake was on his property was, would allow for good fishing, Harris opened Folk Lake, named after previous owner Oscar, to locals in the area. This is when a second official sighting of the turtle would take place. One day in July, two men by the name of Oral Blue and Charlie Wilson were out fishing on the lake. While on their boat, the two men happened to spot a giant turtle just hanging out on the surface. The monster sized turtle became completely ignored the boat in its lake and went around about its business before sinking back down below the water. Amazed by what they had witnessed, Blue and Wilson turned to shore and quickly told Harris about what they had seen. 
Superman describes creature as looking like a normal shaven turtle, but having a spiked shell the size of a large dining room table, being nearly six feet wide, appearing to be nearly 500 pounds. Hmm, that's pretty big. Uh, completely blown away by what the fisherman had described, Harris began to watch the lake almost daily for signs of the turtle. As time passed, hours quickly turned to days, and days turned to weeks, and weeks turned to months, but Harris finally saw his proof that giant was in the lake in March of 1949. Uh, f- filled to the brim with excitement, Harris started to tell anyone and everyone in town about a giant living in his lake. Some townspeople were so amazed they even persuaded Harris to try and capture the creature. Believing that he could indeed catch the turtle, Harris built a trap consisting of multiple wooden stakes, rolls of chicken wire, and some raw bait, creating a funnel type of effect. The trap would force the turtle into a small designated area to keep it contained in a little more than 10 feet of water. The curious town folk arrived at the Harris farm days later when the trap was ready and anxiously waited for the turtle to arrive. Some even held video and still photo cameras as ready in hopes of capturing the creature on film. After a few hours passed, the turtle finally arrived at the trap and began to venture inside. Witnesses on shore gasped and the cameras began to roll and snap away as the creature swam towards the easy bait waiting for it at the end of the trap. Eventually, the turtle reached the end and appeared to have nowhere else to go, but the choice of chicken wire proved to be weak link in this plan. And the creature was able to bust out and turn to the deep, deep part of the lake. Almost instantly, the news of the of giant turtle living and almost being captured in Folk Lake began to spread. The three men, Harris, Blue, and Wilson, started talking to local reporters, and soon the story was known nationwide. Newspapers around the county and the country quickly started referring to the large, docile turtle as the Beast of Busco. Despite never having a dangerous encounter with people, and some even started jokingly referring to it as Oscar, named after the original witness, Oscar Falk. Because of the all, so of all the stories in the various newspapers, curious onlookers started to flock to Harris Farm in order to see the beast for themselves. Others showed up just to publicly ridicule Harris for claiming that such an unbelievable creature was actually living in his lake. No one, not one, to let his name and reputation to be tarnished. Harris started devoting all his available time to capturing the turtle known as Oscar and proving he wasn't crazy. Uh, nearly. Uh, Crowds of nearly 200 people showed up to watch Harris and others attempt to catch Oscar by all sorts of various means. One day, a homemade periscope was created in order to see down into the lake and catch sight of Oscar hanging out at the bottom. But water proved to be too murky to see anything on the tube that was so used to even damage Harry's eyes. Another day, Harris got a fully functional diving suit and talked Woodrow Rigby into putting it on and going to the lake to search. Rigsby agreed, but had to ban the search for search after the helmet began to leak. A few days later, after repair of the helmet, Harris talked to another man by the name of Walter Johnson into putting on a suit in an attempt to search. Even though during the second search the helmet didn't leak, the search had to be abandoned after nearly two hours due to Johnson being sunk in mud up to his chest at the bottom of lake of Folk Lake. Not wanting to give up on his hunt, Harris started to think of new ways to catch the bees. At one point, he even managed to take possession of a live female sea turtle. Planning to put the t- sea turtle in the lake in hopes of attracting Oscar 
close enough to the shore in order to be pulled up. But once again, the beast of Busco managed to avoid a capture. After nearly seven months of constant uh, searching, an effort began to grow more and more desperate in its attempts to prove Oscar's exist, uh, existence. Harris began to use dynamite in order to produce a, bo- a body. Overall tone of the hunts changed and it no longer mattered if Oscar was alive or dead. All that mattered was that he was real. But once large courage crowds of onlookers began to dwindle to almost nothing, Harris's reputation started to suffer. Uh, finally, in October, after nearly trying nearly everything else, Harris announced his final plan to capture. Basically, Busco is going to drain the entire lake. Almost immediately, the crowds returned to Harris' farm in overwhelming numbers, but this time they had to pay an entrance fee to see the show. Using the money from the crowds, Harris attached a large pump to his tractor and started to drain the lake. After a few days of pumping, he managed to drain the one seven-acre lake to an astonishing one acre with a depth of five feet, and it was during this time that Oscar finally decided to show up. While the still loyal crowd watched the surface of the water with focused eyes, a single duck landed upon it and started swimming around. Suddenly, a large reptilian head shot up from under the duck and devoured it whole. The crowd was amazed and startled, yelling for Harris to work faster and to like as soon as possible. But as soon as before, like, uh, like Harris' luck was about to change. Pump started stucking up the thick muck at the bottom of the lake and eventually clogged itself so badly that it broke Harris' tractor and was unable to be used again. Still, determined to prove Oscar was real once and for all. The hell you say it's not real? It freaking. Dude, see a giant freaking thing in a duck hole. Like, oh, I don't know. Can we do. Harris used the last of his money to rent a crane and drag the lake. But just as before, the beast was unable to be avoid capture. Oh my god, dude, seriously. Not long after this dragging of the lake proved useless, a patch of bad weather descended upon Jorus Bosco, and the town fell victim to countless rainstorms. In no time at all, the one acre lake filled back up to its original seven acres, and Oscar was free to swim freely again. Finally, in December, plagued by health problems and debt, Gal Harris called off all remaining attempts to capture the beast of Busco. Unable to rebound after going nearly bankrupt in his attempt to prove Oscar was real, Harris was forced to sell his farm at auction on August 23, 1950. After selling a very farm which hosted nearly 3,000 curious onlookers during the turtle hunts, Busco was never seen again. So what happened to the beast of Busco? Where did the giant turtle known as Oscar go after driving Gal Harris into financial ruin? Did the large reptile even exist at all? I say so. I mean, it's not that big. Did the large reptile even, uh, if you ever to ask anybody from Jurisbilico, they'll tell you yes. Oscar was completely real. They also tell you that the reason Oscar was never captured and was no longer seen in Fault Lake is because of the underground channels that connect Fault Lake to other lakes in the area. Whenever things got too chaotic and it's like, Oscar would simply es- escape through one of the channels into a calm lake from all the noisy sightseers, low equipment, and dynamite. Plus, after draining and dragging the lake ruined the overall balance of his home, Oscar decided to move out for good and never return. <clears throat> there are a few locals, though, who feel that Oscar actually died during the draining of the lake. Those that adhere to the death theory feel that the large turtle fell out into turning water, ultimately became stuck and buried with the mud and muck at the bottom of his home. 
Supporters of this theory feel this is the reason why the base was never seen again after the lake filled back up during the rainy season. But again, these theories are spoken from the point of view of the residents of Truth Row and the celebrators of the annual Turtles Days. But what about these? What about what, what about what about two outside observers? Could Oscar have been real? Some researchers said yes. The case for the instance of the beast is not a hard one to sell due to the fact that it's not some horrible monster or human creature. It's a, not a hybrid animal. It's not supernatural or paranormal in any way. It's simply an extremely large snapping turtle. Some argue that it was even a normal snapping turtle that was being seen, but rather an alligator snapping turtle. The reason for this theory is that the ASTs can be found throughout alligator snapping turtles can be found throughout the southeastern United States. Indiana is in the, this area. And they all possess a large thick shell with three thick rows of spikes and raised plates. Much like the ones Blue and Wilson reported seen in Falklick. Another fact that helps point to an alligator snapping turtle it being the culprit is that alligator snapping turtles continue to grow throughout their entire life. Specimens in captivity have been recorded as weighing reaching weights of 249 pounds uh, and 236 pounds at Brooksville Zoo in Chicago. A 298 pounds at a zoo whose name has been not been recorded. There have also been unverified, unverified reports that a specimen weighing 403 pounds was captured in Kansas in 1937. It is most frequently seen that the largest specimens are generally males, though the occasional female can be reach record weights as well. The alligator snapping turtle is also thought to be able to live to nearly 120 years old. There is some thought among uh, herpetologists that alligator snapping turtles could live to almost 200 years old if all the conditions are right. <clears throat> so we know, now that we know that an alligator stem turtle will never stop growing throughout its lifetime, can live to be over 100 years old and can grow to weigh well over 200 pounds, it is not hard to believe that given the right environmental conditions, a low specimen can be, be able to reach the same gigantic proportions Oscar was said to have. Plus, since there has been no record deaths to alligator snapping turtles in the United States. This can explain why Oscar seemed to pay no attention to those on his lake or why he just chose to do his own thing. Uh, now that we have heard the story and also the true facts about what species the beast more likely was, we were left with one question. Was Oscar real? Sally, the question is unable to be answered with either a definite yes or no. Because of this, which is ultimately comes down to this, do you believe Oscar was real? Or do you believe he was nothing more than a story that turned into legend? We all know real life can suck sometimes, and your boss accidentally seeing you in your underpants on Zoom last week doesn't help any. That's why reluctantly codependent sisters, the Shira and Rashalia, keep you enthralled and in stitches every week with their podcast, Legendary Africa. Every Monday and Friday, we take you on a journey of mythical lands, magical objects, and monstrous creatures, both ancient and modern. Find Legendary Africa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you feed your ears. And remember, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Come here, turtle, six feet long. Uh, next up. Uh, damned green clawed monster. 
uh, Crypto Mundo, posted by Greg Woolheater on January 26, 2014. This story is one of the creepiest stories of all of cryptozoology to me. It's being told on tonight's episode of Monster and Mysteries in America on Destination American Tonight. A mother is viciously attacked in the river by the green clawed beast. Monster and Mysteries in America's Ohio Grassman Green Clawed Beast Big Money Monster airs Sunday, January 26, 8 p.m. Central. The story is the basis for its creature from Black Lagoon, early portion of my shark theory. I've also recently come up with a cryptic chorale. I call it the creature from the Black Lagoon chorale. This is closely related to the shark theory. It, however, covers fresh water as opposed to salt water. This chorale stated to not go into water where you can't see the bottom. You may never be tempted to mend it being able to see your feet, but don't. You have no idea what be lurking in the depths just waiting to grab you and drag you down to the depths. Case in point. On August 21st, 1955, Mr. Darwin Johnson had a terrifying encounter with that she claimed a hideous creature beneath the surface of the Ohio River near Evansville, Indiana. While enjoying a leisurely swim with a friend, one Mr. Chris Lambeau, Mr. Mrs. Johnson, claims he was suddenly clutched around the knee by a large clawed-like hand. Only 15 feet from shore, Mrs. Johnson struggled to disengage herself and head for safety. Uh, Mr. Lambeau could only stare in horror as her distraught friend was yanked beneath the surface of the river. Miraculously, Mrs. Johnson managed to kick her leg free, but also instantly she was seized again, this time from behind. Mr. Mrs. Lambeau's shrieks echoed th- across the river as we helplessly watched her friend being pulled below the river's murky surface. Once again, after resurfacing a second time, Mrs. Johnson launched for Mr. Lumbus inner tube and a splash of her impact apparently scared the beast away. Once back on shore, Mrs. Johnson was treated for multiple confusions contusions on her leg, at which point it was discovered that the boar bore a green palm printed shaped stain. The stain could not be removed for several days. Although Neither Mrs. Johnson nor Mrs. Lamble were able to get a clear or sustained look at the creature. It seems that to be a bare mark resemblance to the Thetis Lake monster, particularly in regards to its hostile nature. Other researchers have been gone so far as to suggest that this incident may be related to another aquatic Ohio area mystery, that of the Loveland Frogman. An interesting footnote in this case was reported by Fortune Miss. Uh, Fortune investigator Terry Colvin. Colvin, who has interviewed the Johnson family, claims that this soon after the accident, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson were visited in the God Town, Indiana, home by an individual who claimed to be an Air Force colonel. Uh, apparently, the colonel took extensive notes regarding Mrs. Johnson's encounter with a green clawed beast and admonished the couple to talk no further about the incident. Located in the wilds of Victoria, British Columbia, Theus Lake is a reputed home of the man-sized gill-bearing humanoid known as Theus Lake Monster. The cryptid has been compared by some cryptozoologists to Norway's green god beast of the Ohio River, the Resident of Sumter, South Carolina, or the Loveland Frogman. Uh, first brought to international attention in the early 1970s, the grizzly apparition of natural selection has been described as being nearly Five feet tall and weighing approximately 120 pounds, with the evidence consisting of solely of silver scales. 
Animal's horrifying visage is made fully by the six razor sharp spikes connected to one another by a thin membranous webbing, which are said to be true from its ambiguous skull. With his dark, bulbous eyes, fish like mouth, and webbed hands, feet, and ears, the theist lake monster bears more than a passing resemblance to the iconoclastic image of the creature from the Black Lagoon. What lands credibly to these reports, however, is the fact that four centuries North American North American natives have been reporting numerous and oft-times fatal encounters of various creatures which they describe as being carnivorous aquatic humanoids. <sighs> Alright, we're back. It's a Mills Race Monster. Uh, it's by Rob Morphy. Uh, Post on March 16, 2015. By Crypto.us. On November, on November 1st, 1974, the Columbus Police Department received a series of panic reports from no less than two sets of eyewitnesses, all of whom claimed to have seen and ever been attacked, even been attacked by a huge bipedal green-shaped matrosity that took to skulking near the waterways near Indiana's 83-acre Mill Race Park. These encounters were would alarm locals and lead to what looks here to be the biggest monster hunt in the history of the United States. Dubbed Death Valley by residents during the 1950s, when the location uh, was besieged by rodents and severe sphere flooding, the tree-shrouded Mill Race Park is known for its winding rivers, two small lakes, and dense wooded areas designed for picnicking, family outings, and private rendezvous. But in autumn of 1974, Petrus Park was notorious for something else, harboring a violent, scaly green monster. The first encounter followed four young women whose names, perhaps due to their age, were not released by the police. As bored teens are what are what to do, the group decided to go hang out in the Mill Race Park, where they would converse free from adult supervision. At approximately 3 p.m. on November 1st, 1974, one of the young women spotted the thing between two trees near the paid boat ramp that led to the east fork of the White River, not far from where the driftwood and flat rock rivers merged. The terrified teens wasted no time in escaping the park, reported an incident to almost certainly skeptical law enforcement officials, saying they had seen a green, hairy, and large creature. Uh, later on in that same evening, a pair of women, having heard nothing about teenagers, earlier decided to stop in Mills Race Park to chat and eat the fast food they had picked up somewhat, somewhere quiet. There's no way either of them could have known they were about to have a dramatic face-to-face encounter with an unspeakable thing. The only one of the pair to ever come forward regarding this harrowing event was Tyra Catiline. She related details of the incident, which is in many ways similar to the first sighting of the Mercyboro Mon Monster on the television program Monsters and Mysteries in America, 2014. It was just a typical evening, shortly after Halloween, and we decided to go take our dinner down to the park and eat it and talk. And we were just kind of staring out into the dark woods. At that moment, a pleasant night between friends began to sort to the scene straight out of a drive-in double feature. Kathleen described what she saw, first saw the nightmarish creature. Out from the woods comes this thing. It had to be at least seven feet tall, if not taller. It's way taller than a normal man. It was then that the situation from went from bad to worse for the hysterical duo were trapped inside a car, praying that the monster would leave them alone. Caroline continued to 
had her nerve-wracking account. It was beating on the windshield, trying to get in, and we were screaming. Who wouldn't want to be? Who wouldn't be screaming? We thought we were going to die. I said, "I said we've got to get out of here." But the driver's leg was shaking so badly she couldn't get the car started. Through the battered and mucus-smeared windshield, Catalina finally managed to get a good look at the attacking monster. Uh, monster's inhuman visage. There was a grand tinge to him. The thing, thing's face. I don't know if it been in the river drinking. And got moss on it because there was so much slime on its face. It did, it did have veins and he was trying to bite through glass. And I was afraid he was going to tear the roof off. Nothing has ever scared me as much as that. Finally, the driver of the car was able to compose herself enough to start the engine. And the pair made a quick exit, leaving toothy, green, slimy skin feed in their wake. We were just glad to get out of there with our lives because this thing was the most horrible thing you ever saw. Like teenage girls who had seen the thing earlier in the day, women who did not know the girls and who had not heard the story drove straight to the police station to report the monster. The police, according to Catalina, were no more prone to believe in the, these older eyewitnesses they had been with the first group. It just seemed like they were laughing about it. They said, oh, a monster, really? Have you been drinking? I said, no, it's real. It's out there. You got to go down there. It's out there and it's going to get somebody. Uh, the skeptical officers may not have believed these was a genuine monster lurking in the Mills Race Park, but there was no dying that the damage was done to the car or the horrific stance that surrounded it. Corner Caroline. The car stunk on the outside so bad it was like a decomposed animal. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, Unenthusiastically, the police fulfilled their duty and checked the park. They found nothing at the scene impressed. Thought the hullabo would die down with the early morning light. If that's what they believe, however, they would have been wrong. Uh, tumult, the tumult that would eventually afflict the entire populace of Columbus to one degree or another began simply enough on November 2nd, 1974, when a Republic newspaper printed a short four paragraph story about the signs under a headline Monster, Women Report Seeing Beasts in Mills Race. The brief went on to read. It's where it's true. Six young women told city police Friday in two separate reports they had seen a Mills race monster once in broad daylight and whatever it is, these six are agreed it is green, hairy, large, about six feet tall, and walking upright and has claws. On November, 4, November 6, 1974, the Republic printed the same report encounter with the beast and officially dubbed it the Mill race monster. The report read in part, the Mo Race monster has returned, apparently stepping out of the shadows. Tuesday, long enough to scare two park goers. County police reported two men in their 20s saw a large, hairy thing hiding behind trees near the covered bridge about 4 p.m. again shortly before midnight. Two men, who did not give their names, said after seeing the monster Tuesday afternoon, they returned with binoculars to turn that evening to get a better look. It's, <laughs> uh, uh, the... They told police that the monster was found and eventually chased them from the park. On November 9th, 1974, the Star chimed in on the Mills race phenomenon and included a third report of the creature. That time, the beast was seen by a pair of city workers, uh, dog catchers to be specific 20-year-old Rick Duckworth and 19-year-old John Brown, who were studying 
ways to rescue cats in the trees of the public park. Uh, the pair claims that they spied the monster from about 200 feet away. Now, what was it they uh, interpreted, or in the case, full-heartedly, Duckworth attempted to pursue, according to Ebola Star. Well, when Duckworth started towards the monster, the beast took off as fast as deer and disappeared into a whiz. When the monster's with the monster gone, two men ran the ladder and lowered the two cats to the ground. As soon as they hit the ground, the two cats took off like bolts of lightning. With one disappearing into distance and other running into a sewer line, according to Duxworth, they were really scared. He added, uh, "Duxworth would go on to tell Star what he would do if he saw the creature again. He would try to shoot him with a gun that he carries to catch dogs." All this talk about utilizing Tekkar guns is good and well if you're talking about a lumbering, vicious, seven-foot-tall monster. But according to Duxworth, the creature was nothing more than a large framed man wearing a green mask and green blankets. While there's no way to really know what was in his useful dog catcher's mind when he saw the creature from such a distance, in fact, is it hard to believe that these workers' first instinct would be a shoot a hoaxer, a hoaxer with a tranquilizer gun? Then he proceeded to brag about their devious plan to depress. Either way, city officials decided to rally behind this prankster hypothesis, a fact which infuriated eyewitnesses like Cowling. I know it's real, and what I saw is not a joke. It was not. A person in a costume. It was really something that could move around. It could grimace its face. It was growling. It was very aggressive. So people can think of what they want to do. What they want to. I know what I saw and it was pretty bad. I don't want to talk, think about it too long because it still scares me to this day. Following the third report, the story of the now infamous Mill Race monster spread like wildfire through the central Indiana and in no time drove off armed, albeit amateur monster hunters filtered into the area along with throngs of curiosity seekers. On one night alone, there were over a hundred cars clustered around the park. Paranormal investigator and Columbus native Chris McDaniel described the situation. People were coming out of the woodwork, and they were walking through the woods with baseball bats and shotguns. It was getting to be a thorny situation. Former Republic newspaper editor Harry McCauley confirmed McDaniel's statement. We got, we got this report from the police department, and he grabbed it Kind of in terms of a Bigfoot with green scary things coming off of it. The front page helped feed the developed what developed afterwards. The police reported that people were coming down to the park searching for the monster. And an effort to curb the potentially devastating mix that can occur when frightened people are armed to the teeth and run around the park dark near a residential area. City Park Director Robert Gilkin ordered the park to be closed at night. According to a story appearing in November 8th, 1974, Gilkin Everlast. It may become necessary to close the park to the public at night, not because of the monster, but because of the public. Due to the avalanche of interest in the monster from both the press and public alike, Columbus Police Department officially appointed Officer Kenneth St. John to the unavailable position of Monster Control Officer. After a while, the monster furrow died down in the small town of Columbus, and folks went about their daily lives. But for many people, including eyewitnesses Tyra Kyleen, Kyleen, there was no satisfying, no satisfying resolution to the puzzle of what seems, of what was that made its temporary home in the Mills Race Park, according to Kyleen. Something, sometimes when I think about it, it gives me goosebumps. It takes me back to that evening. I've never seen anything like that before. To this day, I wonder where it came from and where it went to. 
Answer to, to that question might be surprising. While many folks have lumped the mill race monster into the broad spectrum of hairy hominid cases, the fact is, it, the fact is that its creature was reported to have scales and slimy skin, traits not only seen in prototypical Bigfoot reports. According to McDaniel, the teens first saw reported monster described it as being both dirty and mossy, which superficially corresponds with Flores Story's Moss Man. Well, but that is where the comparison between the two cryptids ends. There's also the thin possibility that this was a lizard man, not unlike the creature said to haunt South Carolina's escape or swamp, but the Christian of hair, as well as the fact that none of the witnesses claims it looked reptilian, but seemed to rule that this out as well. Uh, when considering when to archive this report, we felt descriptions of the middle race monster not be outplaced in company of the aquatic enemas such as the nefarious green clawed beast. The theist like monster, bizarre Charles Mill like monster, or even the indescribable Octoman. These uh, ostensibly amphibious creatures are said to dwell in or along fresh water lakes and rivers and may w- well use them to both conceal themselves and migrate, which would help to explain why the Mill race flap, while no doubt chaotic, was so transitory. Transitory? Okay. Uh, perhaps the strange. Trace suggestion regarding this creature's origins came from what two unnamed men involved in the Mill Race monster. This uh, anonymous white witness summarized that this that the UFO seen over Indiana for a brief time might have been left something behind from the November 6, 1974 edition of the Republic. Uh, one of the men suggests an explanation for a newly found monster that had been left here near, early followed by visitors from another planet. At that time, Columbus, much of the Midwest, was flooded by signs of unified flying objects. Uh, be it an alien from out of this world, a Mactori river monster, a lost gunk ape, or some kind of off-the-wall hybrid beast, one thing we know for sure is that the publication of Columbus was likely never to forget the brief member- but memorable run-in with the terrifying unknown. It's good. Good stuff. Nail cut uh, drunk was at not twenty six, not twenty twenty. Is that right? Uh, oh, March third, twenty nineteen. Uh, June nineteen fifty two, hunting for a giant snake. Corey McKinnon, Journal Gazette. A monster-sized reptile, a posse. People bolting the doors in terror. This subject, this subject of today's column, suggested by a reader, has all the makings of nineteen fifties creature reacher. It came from beneath the St. Joseph's Curse of the Slithering Serpent, or some such title. This story doesn't begin with a young couple breaking curfew to fumble through a swamp at midnight while eyes catch a spooky glint of moonlight as they peek out of the shadows. There are no alien saucers, no Godzilla, no bisectors, no forbidden planet. A cuticle say memory lip ripple effect. Let me take you back to June 13, 1952. Our setting is Fort Wayne. It's broad daylight uh, as the D.A. Krantz family drives down California Road. Mrs. Krantz, his passenger, uh, includes our two children stop in the car when she sees a log across the road ahead. As he follows what to do, one end of the log rises three feet off the road. It had a head like a bulldog, she later said, of what reported was a sickly blue snake that stretched all across the road, at least 18 feet long and 5 inches wide. Next day, about 100 hunters searched the area on foot 
the aid of trucks and airplanes. These are people from local conservation clubs, the parks department, and even the sheriff's mounted posse. Yes, this was a thing, searching on horseback. Uh, coming only a few weeks, a few years after a giant hunt for a turtle in Church Bosco, one wire service says the India monster season is on. As it shares the stories nationwide, readers eager to learn about the hunt for Pete the Python, probably not a blood monster movie monster moniker. Uh, after a day of climbing through the knolls and swamps of northwest suburban Fort Wayne, the hunters believed they had tracked the snakes later to a square mile bordered by U.S. 30 in California. Butler and Hilgos rose, so they pair a trap. But so many spectators turn out that Sheriff Harold has been delays it a day. Not everyone is eager to watch the hunt. The Sheriff's office is besieged by terrified callers, including one woman, tells them she has barred all her doors and windows but is smoldering to death in front in hot, hot, humid June weather. Sheriff's Tom tries to reach her callers. Hunters are confident they will catch the snake, but is Pete real? Indiana State Police check without success to find out whether any traveling zoos or carnivals have lost any giant snakes. Some farmers and residents said they have seen large blue racer snakes in area and sometimes spooking, sometimes spooking horses. One farm worker reports seeing killing a seven-foot blue racer only a month earlier. Another resident, Sheriff Tippy, says there's a 12-foot racer out there. Uh, Chicago, a Chicago air reptile expert says it could be a pilot black snake, which is native to Indiana, but only grows to be about six feet. A python grows larger, longer, and has a blue uh, air iridescence. Uh, what the fuck is that word mean? Uh, okay, but they don't have heads at the size of bulldogs, he says. The crash sticks to stories. On the night of June 16th, another sighting was reported. Three motorists traveling along Parnell Avenue near two-year-old Memorial Coliseum spot nothing large along the road, on the side of the road. Something large along the side of the road. Okay. Uh, it looks like a fire hose, says Eugene LeBavor, who considered himself a skeptic until he saw Pete with his own eyes. He and the Snyder sisters he was driving say they saw about uh, 8 to 10 feet of the snake. The descriptions are contrary as the color of the reptile. But gives the snake hunters a new area to search, and he soon arrives with floodlights and head off into the night. And this is where our story ends. I know, I know, I hate a cliffhanger ending too. But maybe you can help me with the sequel to this creature feature. I searched the Creature Journal's dead archive several weeks after June 16th sighting. There's nothing more about the snake. A couple of kids created a fake beat out of canvas, tried to scare divers, but that's it. Do you remember what happened in the snake church? Let me know. History Journal opens Honestly. Uh. The following stories appear in the Journal Gazette. Lara Pete, the Python, fully found, trapped set by Wesley D's restaurant, June 15, 1952. A bedraggled bed group of thorn-snatched, mosquito-bitten, mud-spattered snake hunters, some 100 strong, chambered over knolls and through swamps of northwest suburban Fort Wayne yesterday on one of the biggest, most arrived hunts in the city's history. They hope to snare the quarry today. Call to action where 
Fort Logan volunteers from Confederation Clubs, the Isaac Walton League, the Sheriff's Emergency Reserves, and the Sheriff's Deputies, Sheriff's Mounted Posse, Airplanes, Trucks, and Walkie Talkies, and five Beagle Hounds. The hunt might seem strangely reminiscent of the Busco Turtle fiasco, but officials are confident of having to proof today. The Indiana Monsters season is on, was the one wire service put it. Prey of the Hunters was the 18-foot snake reported seen Friday on the California Road by D.A. Krantz family. A trap is being ready to be spring on the elusive reptile this afternoon, beginning at 1 p.m. Hunters believe that they have tracked the snake down to his probable lair in a square mile bounded by the California Road, U.S. Highway 30, Butler Road, and Haggis Road. More specifically, more specifically, Sheriff Harold S. Z's and Evans uncovered yesterday appeared to limit the snake's normal habitats to Parker Whiting Farm on the Butler Road. This farm is almost due south of the spot where the Kranz family first came on the reptile. At first, they thought a log had fallen across the road. They stopped the car. Then the log river its head above the height of the rear cap. It had a head like a bulldog, Mrs. Kranz said at the times. But she added that it stretched across the complete width of the road, about 18 feet wide. She estimated its diameter to be about 5 inches. After a quick glance, the snake slithered off into the bushes. Kranz and his two children were also in the car and said it was sickly blue color. Apparently, it had been living in the hollows in the area for years. Sheriff said probably living off the wildlife, chicken, and pigs, and make us home in muskrat holes or 80 miles during the winter. Early reports Friday night and Saturday morning had the reptile headed toward Frank Park. The park was strangely deserted on picnic occurs yesterday. Parents can breathe easy though. This confluent park has been searched thoroughly and no evidence of the snake was found. Besides, the sheriff was, who commanded his forces from the air yesterday afternoon said they could see the members of the 293rd Infantry Regiment of the National Guard and members in the park. They were throwing over the park, whole park in the west, he said, they've got guns. The only evidence found by hunters was pointed towards the Whiting Farm. The crawling path was uh, discernible by the wall way the weeds lay. These said they, was, they found one spot where the snake had crawled through a fence. The path led up to the fence, and the tall weeds had been pushed over the lower strands of wire where it had slithered across the barricade. I also found a spot where it had up for a while. Charles Branch, his farm, the Whiting Farm, said the snake had been seen air off and on for years. He was driving a team of horses and a wagon through a field about 10 years ago when a snake reared up under the wagon. The horses in turn reared and bolted. Other old-timers in the area relate similar stories. The trap today will differ from yesterday's search, according to the sheriff's plan. Surfers, searchers playing on the snake's ecology will use a waiting game a team in bait. They'll be chasing at different spots over the farm and then wait for a child to show itself. How long they'll have to fight off the skills was not estimated. They're going to capture it alive, but just how it's to be done depends on the circumstances, according to the, sur- according to the sheriff. Yesterday's search was systematic and began only after a skull session at the county jail. An online map of the terrain was drawn and eager safari was divided into five groups, each each of which would begin at different points drawn on the map. One group started after the Korean family encountered the python and tracked it across the hairy stole farm on the Hillis Road onto the 
uh, Branch Lange on the Butler Road. They were only successful. <sighs> they were the only successful searching party as far as snake tracks were concerned. Another group followed Spider on Creek out of the city. One resident of which probably seen the Edgewater is on Edgewater Avenue, which runs across the creek within the city. They waited their way out to Cambridge Boulevard, where it joins US 30. Uh, one took off from the Cambridge Boulevard, all walls way to the Butler Road, and DL Ditch, another stayed out on the but at the Butler Road at DL's Ditch and headed towards the Whiting Farm. The fifth group was a sheriff's mounted posse, which combed Frank Park, Spy Run Creek, and the newest ditch. The posse of nine to twelve horses, headed by Lieutenant Charles Morrow, suffered one casualty in the chase. That was Carl Cabby's horse stepped in the swampy north of the park and rolled over North Cabby, nor the horse was seriously hurt. Neither Gabby nor the horse was seriously hurt. Okay, let's go. Crances, who lived on RR3, also made up a party for the search. The Crances are the only ones with a description of the snake. The worst part of the hunt, Lieutenant Morrow said, was the mosquitoes. They were that long. Said, and he measured two inches with his fingers the size at this point. They were glistening with sweat which called off the hunt at about 4.30 p.m. Uh, Richard Price, Frank Park superintendent, had organized a group of park department workers and volunteers during the morning, and he had made a thorough search of the northwest section of the park. The Mount Posse, when they joined the hunt at noon, took up the, where the other group left off. Superintendent Price said he was taking a few chances and letting nay of his vain wildlife charges fall prey to the snake wrapped appetite. Because there's so many gun bearing volunteers, some carrying four tens in the party that he, he dissolved it at noon. There were too many rifles and guns in the group to have them wandering around a public park, he said. The cover of the grounds was good, but the brush is so thick in the hollows that had the snake been there, we could have easily have passed him. Indiana State Police checked yesterday to see if any traveling zoos or carnivals had lost any reptilian exhibit. Without, but without success, it was pointed out that some show could well have lost reptile and currently neglected to report the loss because of liability in such cases. The sheriff's office has been besieged by terrified ladies. They attempted to calm their fears, but admit it is sometimes difficult. Particularly in the case of the woman who called to them, she had barred all her doors and windows, both smoldering, smothering to death. And the search was had resulted in more traffic than those roads have seen in years. Hope I hope they aren't slammed tomorrow, Sheriff says, said last night. Robert Zanger, creator of reptiles at a Brookfield Zoo near Chicago, had some comments last night about seeing a snake. He said, uh, Crances may have actually seen a pilot black snake, which is blue, black in color, but grows only six feet long. It is native to Indiana. A python, he said, grows longer and has a blue ink and but they don't have their heads of bulldogs. Size of bulldogs. Uh, many, most people, he said, always see snakes as longer, more frightful than they actually are. Francis family sticks to her stories. Uh, police set trap today for a snake, June 16, 1952. A trap for a giant snake, probably 18 
feet in length with a head like a bulldog. We slept up today northwest of the city. Sheriff S. fires it last night. The sheriff said there were too many spectators in the area yesterday. So the hunt for a reptile was called off temporarily. Sheriff deputies at jail said newspapers over the county and local residents called repeatedly to inquire if they had captured the, the reptile had been captured. Yeah. Uh, more than 100 volunteers, think hundreds of members of the conversation clubs. Isaac Walton League, Sheriff's Emergency Reserves, Sheriff's Monte Posse, and Sheriff's Deputies and five big old dogs joined the widespread search Saturday. Sheriff Aziz said a trap for the king-sized reptile, which was reportedly first seen Friday morning on California Road by D.A. Cranch family, would be set up today. Uh, Saturday, Sheriff Aziz said evidence of the snake's presence pointed to the area bounded by the California Road, U.S. Highway 30, and the Butler Road and Helgus Road. The reptile's natural habitat. If there is such a reptile, appears to be the Parker White Farm on the Butler Road. I've seen a lot of snakes around here, but none that big. Charles Myers, superintendent of the White Farm, said yesterday. Myers said blue racers are quite common in the area. He added that he killed one about seven feet long a month ago. Throngs of giant sightseers and cars rode through the area northwest of the city yesterday, but found little excitement in connection with the snake hunt. The sheriff last night said a trap which consists of a number of detailed stations at intervals across the Whiteling Farm to sit and wait for the mammoth snake to show itself. He said, Another swamp, a likely spot for a child to be found, is located on the Clarence James Farm on the Butler Road. Although a number of persons began to voice skepticism regarding the presence of an 18-foot snake in the community, Sarah said he was convinced there is truth in the report. He said, A deputy who lived in a section of knowledge there has been previous reports of a giant reptile. Pete the Python comes out of hiding, June 17, 1952. Pete, the Python, an exclusive reptile of fire, of fire hose proportions, probably was sighted again at the northern edge of the city last night. Three young persons said they spotted what appeared to be a huge snake in the glare of the headlights of the cars on Palmerell Avenue, about 200 yards south of the California Road. This was at 9.15 p.m. Eugene Lavert, 21, at of 2420 Cambridge Boulevard, a shipping dispatcher with the General Electric Company, here said he stopped his car immediately. I was curious to see what it was, Eugene said. It looked like a fire hose. Violet Snyder, 22, and Marguerite Snyder's 17 sisters, both of 228 South Simon Circle, were riding with a little burr, confirming seeing what at first looked like a 2 by 4 half out of the road. I found okay. Nobody said anything until we saw it move. Finally, sir, that somebody it wasn't me. Blurred out. That must be that must be the snake. Laverne said the two girls said they convinced they saw only about half the reptile as it slithered off the road in a whistling direction into the underbrush. He said that the part of the they saw was about eight or ten feet in length. 
Uh, when I first stopped the car, I expected that someone was pulling a trick of some kind by pulling a large rope or something across the road. Lefer related. Uh, I got I, just, I got out of the car, expecting to find a couple of children, but there were none. Lefer explained that before getting out of the car, he parked it off the road with the headlights playing on the spot where reptile disappeared. All three occupants of the car described the safe movements as very slow. Lever estimated it took the reptile about 30 seconds to disappear into the underbrush. Uh, Lever and the two girls immediately drove to a house near the Parnell Bridge and called the Sheriff's Department, reporting what they had seen. Sheriff Harold S. Zies, who Saturday, Saturday directed a widespread search northwest of the city for an 18-foot snake, which was report, first reportedly sighted Friday morning on the California Road by D.A. Cranch family, R.R. 3 immediately headed to the scene and mounted full lights for a search of the area near Palm Mall Avenue opposite the Coliseum. I thought it looked like a big fire hose too, Margaret Snyder said in describing the object seen on the road. I was convinced it was a snake. I wouldn't get out of the car. LeVert explained that Ford Scotland's Sheriff's Department, he got out of the car with his flashlight and examined the side of the road where the snake disappeared. There was grass and weeds by the edge of the road and the trees about 15 feet off the road, he said. You can see where the grass and weeds were sort of laid over and passed about the size of a tire and the loose gravel. Stories of the three young people differ slightly as the color of the reported snake. I thought it looked toast color, but Snyder related. Lavar said it looked whitest color in color. Grant reported last Friday described a couple of sickly blue color. Only one the trio confirming hearing any sound of a snake crawling under the brush outside the road. I thought I heard a rustling in the grass and a snapping of some pigs. Margaret Snyder asserted. Uh, Lavora said that when he first read about the huge snake party on the California road, he believed the story to be a hoax. But I am convinced now that something's there's something in it, he said. I n- I've never been afraid of snakes. I used to catch some myself, but I don't want anything to do with snakes that size. Uh, snake hunters need insect-proof uniforms to stand an even chance. June 17, 1952. Uh, Allen County's snake hunt took a new twist last night. If it is much longer, the sheriff let their body's posse with insect-proof uniforms. For the fresh posse, which beat about the new Memorial Coliseum northeast of the city early today, Sheriff S. Harold S. Aziz brought it heavy dungarees. But this is a little facial protection against the mosquitoes. And bugs attracted to the snake hunt by a battery of floodlights. The sheriff reported earlier today tracks of snake had been found on the berm of the highway, but a uh, trail disappeared into a field. During the initial search, the sheriff and deputies thought they had heard uh, rustling in the boughs of, <laughs> of a tree near a scene of the latest ported snake um, by Boke. Boke? B.I. B O U A C. Um, Posse returned to the jail and for special uniforms and more floodlights. Flood, floodlights. Uh, thing is getting to be a problem. The sheriff commented between churches. One thing we'll have to be have protective clothing if something doesn't develop soon. Insects, the insects are a serious handicap in making the search. Richard Oplinger, 19, in the Miller Hotel, a fisherman, 
with mooring his boat in the St. Joseph River at the sheriff's policy. As the sheriff's policy moved across the rough ground with their lighting equipment, Oliver said he was deathly afraid of snakes. I would have walked across the field to the road, he confessed, but now I won't, lice or not. As the sheriff stretched to his dungarees back at the jail, uh, while the new search was ready, Deputy handed him a letter. It was from Suzanne Scheffner, Western Salem, North Carolina. Suzanne is interested in snakes. It's just all sorts of samples, according to his letter. Snakes peaked by times as a big blue racer, but she wants to snake dead or alive. If, any, if and when it is caught. Uh, the sheriff is. The sheriff's department is also aware that from the granddaddy of all blue racers has been screaming about a farm area northwest of the city for many years. Deputy Sheriff L. Hintzman, a resident of the neighborhood for 60 years, says the racer is 12 feet long and has carrying horses for the last 20 years. That he remembers it made last made appearance about five years ago, he said. Sheriff Zess said Mr. Crest probably would be honored when he gets it to it. This is postscript to her letter. I would just as soon have the snake dead. A uh, big snake captured on canvas. June 18, 1952. There was a law in Al County's snake hunt yesterday by three youngsters with a 15 foot canvas leprechaun of a serpent tried to promote a new safari last night. Huge snake youngsters rigged up and daubed riskily with a green and brown paint. Red reflector beads were attached to the head for eyes and reportedly dragged over Johnny Appleseed Bridge and across North Avenue. Boulevard extended. Gossel off a passing porous chuckle, but no alarm. Search for the real thing turned to a roadway past the new memorial crossing late Monday night. Three mom, young motorists reported seeing a large reptile slither across the pavement into a ditch, and Sheriff Posse, armed with a uh, mosquito oil, shotguns, and floodlights, turned up nothing after searching the area for several hours. Some followers of the hunt still believe the snake. If trapped, would prove to be a giant bird known to have been frequenting a rural northwest of Fort Wayne for a number of years. Okay. This is the last story. Ah. Uh, Folklore plays a role at Mounds, June 10th, 2016, from GreensburgDailyNews.com. Uh, if you grew up on the, in the United States, you were undoubtedly introduced to American folklore with stories by the likes of Johnny Appleseed, Paul Bunyan, and Casey Jones. These stories were shared over and over again, being passed down from generation to generation, telling great adventure and wonder. Uh, many of these legends original like the Sasquatch of the Great Northwest, or aspects of Davy Crockett in Tennessee. As in all regions of the U.S., Hooters, too, have their own regional tales, more swiftly Anderson in its own folklore. While tales of little human-like creatures who live in the forest are home to the ancient native earthworks found today in Mound State work. The Delaware people that sailed along the White, along the white River called them Pukwudgies, meaning the little wild men of the forest. The Miami people use the word piyasaki having the same meaning. Over many 
Over the years, many have claimed to have come in contact with these mysterious creatures, describing them about two to three feet tall, having rounded white faces with dull blonde hair that cover their heads like a helmet. Most accounts claim that the Pawagis typically wore the blue shirt of a laborer that functioned like a robe covering their small stature. Uh, Pukwudgie's dwellings are described as small, domed, or teepee-like structures made from saplings or small sticks and branches. Some accounts describe uh, lean-to dwellings structured out of exposed root bales of down trees. Natives in this, natives in this region are said to have believed that Pukwudgie's contained magical powers, defending themselves with sharp poison sticks, but were mostly peaceful and persistent participated in trade with their indigenous communities. Indian accounts reported Pukwudgie's use of wooden and stone tools used to be built their homes and gather food in the forest. It is said that at night Pukwudgie's mimicked their calls of whippoorwills, owls, insects, and tap stones on logs in order to communicate with each other throughout the forest. Over the last 100 years or so, many people have reported coming into contact with Pukwudgie's, perhaps most notably, a young girl named Eloise, who lived in the Brandenburg house that is stayed within the boundaries of Mound State Park. Uh, whether or not you believe small human-like creatures live along the White River, legends like the ones about the Pukwudgies help to enhance our local history. Folklore plays an important role in our culture. It can help us think critically, creatively about our role in our community. Or local culture and perhaps more firmly the meaning we probably interesting ourselves in the natural world. A book about Pokemon by Prowls can be found in the Mount State Park gift shop. I highly recommend it. Okay. My tech letters. Let me read that. Okay. Okay, I'll see. That's it. That's it for this week. Now we can find this. We can listen to this. Ah, thank you. So again, you can find, you can listen to this episode and past episodes and future episodes on Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, and Breaker. Also, if you, you can, uh, Keep up to date on episodes and stuff. Like where to find links to these episodes on all these platforms by joining the Facebook group at Monsterlights Podcast on Facebook. Or you can uh, follow Twitter. Also, if you want to contact me on the show on being a guest or spending a story that you want to be on the show, you can um, by emailing uh, Monsterlands Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and uh, hope you have a legendary week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Legend Podcast. Or to find more information about Monster Legend Podcast, go to monsterlegendpodcast.com or anchor.fm forward slash monsterlegendpodcast. 
There you can find all episodes and platforms on which the podcast is on, which you can describe, subscribe to. You also can email me with questions that will be answered on the show. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.